0: Before Thee let my cry come near, O oh Lord, true to Thy word, teach me. Before We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, This Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. What a beautiful day. Amen? I know some of you guys had a great time last night out at uh, at Brother Danny's house, uh, enjoying the weather. We've gone from heat wave to fall instantly. Uh, If it could just stay right here, I'd be pretty happy. Uh, But... As we gather today and the sun is shining and uh, good things are happening and joy is filling us, uh, we are reminded, though, that sometimes things are not so, so joyous. We're going to be talking about this a little bit today in my message today, Tears in God's Bottle in His Book. Sometimes they're not so good, right? And in those times when we, uh, when we are suffering and when we're hurting, Um, The Bible says in the times of adversity, we are to consider. And one of the things that we should consider in adversity are days like this. Days where things are going good in our lives, things when all are well. And, uh, And so there is a great reservoir of hope in the memories of all the good things that we share together. In Psalm 16, David did this kind of thing. Um, where he found himself praising God in the midst of his trials. So hear the word of the Lord as we are called into his presence to worship. David prays and he says, preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. He was feeling like, preserve me. It's kind of like the word we would say, like, save me, God, you know. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord. My goodness extends not to thee. But to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God and their drink offerings of blood will I not offer nor take up their names into my lips. For the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup and thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen into pleasant places. Yea, I have a godly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, and I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth, and my flesh shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in the grave, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy." And at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your kindness and your mercy, Lord. We thank you for your goodness to us, Lord, that we certainly don't deserve, but we do enjoy. And Lord, we pray today as we gather into your presence that you would speak to us and that you would lead us into the paths of righteousness for your namesake. Lord, that you would change us so that we might be more like you. Make us fit for heaven. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Alone in a dark, quiet hospital at 2 o'clock in the morning. Exhausted from hours of fervent prayer and bargaining. wrung out and now at a total loss for words. Helplessness and hopelessness hover over us like specters. We are powerless and silent as we sit in the days of our numbness. No more words form in our minds and our mouths and only memories haunt us we dare not dream of tomorrow because we are certain of the sorrow that it will surely bring it is in this moment that we stare at the mindless chatter of an unattended television screen neither entertaining or informing us but only keeping us from the nothingness that may wash us out into a dark sea Here in this strange land, suspended between two worlds in a space that seems so far removed from reality, we are confronted with our frailty. When things are going well in our lives, we easily believe we're stronger than we are. Times of trouble, though, awaken us from these false dreams and force us to face the truth. It was in a moment like this that David's heart, moved by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, composed the 56th Psalm. He was not alone. In fact, not one of the many hairs that no doubt fell from David's head as the rough hands of the Philistines grabbed him and threw him into a prison, not one of those hairs fell to the ground unnoticed and unaccounted for by God. Not one moment of gripping fear or one of David's desperate cries was not recorded by God. Amen? God was the one that sent Samuel to anoint him king, a man after his own heart, and he would not leave him or forsake him, even though at the time he felt that maybe he had. Every tear he cried was collected for safekeeping in God's bottle. The sorrows that brought them Were written in his book for when we cry unto him people of God he hears us and as a loving father he comes to us one way or the other he has never left one of his alone ever people of God he will never leave you he will never forsake you either and he will always come for you your tears are being collected in his bottle too and written in his book let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word as we have heard it and has brought us to this place. I pray that you would illuminate the words of Psalm 56 that it might speak to us and draw us nearer to you. Amen. Psalm 56 is uh quite an interesting psalm in fact there's a word in it not used in the bible anywhere else but one place and anybody who uh anyone who can actually say that word may win a special prize uh, at the end of service uh don't worry i don't even have to have the prize on hand because i know nobody can say it (laughs) uh the inspired heading which i didn't read in my text um Says this, it says, to the chief musician upon, and this is the word, are you ready for it? Jonath Elam Rechokim. If you're looking for a clever J name for one of your children, (laughs) this is not suitable. Jonath Elam Rechokim, Uh, we'll get into the meaning of it, but it is uh, uh, quite unique to this one passage of scripture in the entire Bible. This is a mictum of David, and try to jog your brain if you can remember what a mictum is. Uh, it's not a skill. We've been doing a few of those, those proverb psalms, but this is a mictum, and we'll get into what that is too. And it was written when the Philistines took David in Gath. Now, here in verse 1, we're going to look at these three things in the inspired heading that are very, very significant to the context, Okay. And then we'll dive into the opening stanza of the prayer and the song written by David uh, before he was king. These three things are the tune. Everybody say the tune. The treasure. And the time. These are important things. You know, when we hear God's word, understanding it in the context that it was written is important. And so first we'll deal with the tune. Uh, The tune is very significant now whenever you listen to a song how many of you would say that the tune is about as important as the words right now isn't it funny that we have a song book given to us by god without the tunes so you know we we before really the first words of a song are sung or heard we often get the idea of what song it is by the music that is being played bum 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 right this is a march the son of god goes forth to war you can almost see the drummer standing out in front of the battle you know bum 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 right it's a march right uh or whether it is a a heartfelt ballad you know how great thou art i mean if, if you sang that to a different tune it would certainly have a different meaning to you right And, or even if it is a celebration, which we do oftentimes at mealtime here, right? Oh, happy birthday to you, oh, happy birthday to you, right? We know this is happy, right? And so the tune is important. Now, this tune was a tune that they were familiar with. And although we don't know what it is, the name of the tune kind of gives us an idea of what it might've been like. Because in the name of the tune, uh, there's some uh, description of what the tune was, and maybe even uh, a mention of what the instrument that was played, okay? So the tune is this, to the chief musician upon Jonah Elam Rechokim, okay? Um, and that's not a word you hear every day, and if you say it three or four times in a row, maybe you can get it right, but Jonah Elam Rechokim. I, I couldn't get it right, so I have to write out the phonetic spelling every time, okay? Um, Quite a few commentators do take a stab at understanding it, uh, but their language was a bit antiquated, and I'm a little bit embarrassed, but I thought maybe it would be helpful for you to see that even pastors can be silly. Okay, are you guys, are you with me here? So I'm reading these commentators, and uh, some of them are saying that it has something to do with something that's dumb. And I'm kind of like, what? You know, and... And, and then other commentators are doing that there's, there's a quietness, you know. And, 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 and somehow I'm like, why are the commentators not agreeing with one another here? And I really wasn't thinking of the King James language dumb as in mute. <laughs> okay. So I was really struggling. I'm like, well, I, who, what commentators can I pick here? One, he thinks they're dumb. And the other one, uh, they're quiet. Or, and I'm like, I'm like, I know who's dumb here. You know, uh, it's me. And, uh, and so, so anyway, I just thought you might find a little humor in what happens in the study. You know, you're reading this and, and you're trying to figure this out and you're like, that, that's quite a lot difference here. Stupid and dumb are quite a lot difference than forlorn and quiet, you know? And, and I'm just like, this is not making any sense to me, but, but the, uh, Elam Rechokim means, okay, it means the silent Dove in a far, far place. So if you heard, hey, I'm going to sing a song to the silent dove in the faraway place. Is this going to be a march? Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, you know, Is this going to be a celebratory song? Or what kind of song is this going to be? The, the song of the silent dove far, far away from home. You got to get the tune here. The tune is going to be something what? A bit reserved. A bit lonely, a bit sad. Now, it fits well with the time that David wrote it, and we're gonna talk about that momentarily. But it was a time of great loneliness and uncertainty, alienation and fear. Okay, the picture of a silent dove cooing in sadness as they do, almost moaning in their mournful, quiet song. You know, when I was a boy, I spent a lot of time outside, and I, I learned bird sounds. Any, is there anybody else that does this, you know? And you hear the, you know, and you learn the, and I learned to make these little sounds, and I would imitate them, and And we had these doves. Can anybody do a dove? Can anybody do it? Quack. <laughs> All right. Uh, no, quack is a duck, okay? So... But the, but a dove makes he goes, and I'll try to do it if I can. I actually can't do it right now. But they kind of coo. Does that sound familiar? And they kind of, it's kind of a sad song, really. And they always sort of made me sad when I was a kid when I would hear the cooing of a dove. And a lot of times I was sad because I, I would have shot one with my BB gun and they... And my parents told me they mate for life, and so when you do that, you know, and I would see that in my, maybe this was just guilt, you know, to make my, not shoot them with my gun, but but I just remember that that the sound of doves crying or cooing made me sad. Even the mute, even when they cannot speak, they sound their emotions, and that's kind of what it was for me. You know, they, in their unspeaking, they made a sound, a sound like a sound of sadness. One ancient commentator suggested that in the language somehow, in the, there was a, a hint to the modulation or the rhythm of the psalm that may have been played on what was called a long Grecian pipe. And if you know anything about, you know, that, the, the, the bigger instrument, the longer the instrument, it's going to lower the tones are going to be That's why the big big you know tuba is is it a high-pitched instrument? No, it's you know, and of course, uh, but, but the big, long Grecian pipe, uh, according to McClintock Strong's biblical uh, cyclopedia, it may have been played on a long Grecian pipe with the low, mournful sounds. Second thing we'll talk about is the treasure. I say the treasure? Okay, now do you remember uh, what a micctum is? Anybody remember now? It's been a long time, so it's okay. I read the other one that we've covered so far, Psalm 16, as our call to worship. Thought it might maybe jog your memory. Um, but it's been 11 months ago, so if you don't remember uh, a, a detail like this from 11 months ago, you're forgiven, okay? So a mictum is a golden psalm. There are seven of these treasures. Uh, And basically what they mean is that the words of the psalm are so precious they should be stamped in gold. You know, we talked about if you're going to have something written on your, you know, in your house or something that's important like that, you know, it's, it's worthy of a quote worthy of repeating. And that's what a mictum is. Um, Psalm 16 has a similar theme and And I really didn't take the time to go read all seven of them to see if maybe they all do. And so maybe we'll sort of discover this together. But Psalm 16 has a similar theme of Psalm 56, where we are today. And so maybe the great treasure is, okay, uh, what we're learning in Psalm 16 and in Psalm 56. And that great treasure is this, is that we need to know how to come to God when we're in trouble and listen for his word to guide us okay that's wisdom amen you know sometimes we hear the noise of our own minds we hear oh what's going to happen or what the consequences are going to be or how desperate a situation is or or how god's not going to show up and how bad things are. going to we hear all of that but we don't hear god's word and in the midst of trouble the book of proverbs says in the time of adversity we are to consider what are we to consider to consider god's word you know steve read for us from proverbs chapter three trust in the lord with all thine heart lean not to thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he will what he will direct thy paths what's that he's talking about be not wise in thine own eyes we need god's direction from his word to know what to do we can't be in a situation and just go well this is what i want to do and this is what i'm gonna do we can't do that that's not wisdom. The Bible tells us that the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. When we're angry, when we're hurt, when we're in pain, when we're scared. Our first inclination is not to listen to what God's word says we're supposed to do. A person hurts our feelings and and God's word says, you know, if someone does this, you should go to them and you should talk to them. What do we do? Instead, we're like, why did they hurt me and they don't like me and they did this before. And and we start hearing all of those thoughts swirling around in our mind rather than saying, what does God's word say that I should do? I need to leave my gift at the altar and be reconciled to my brother. I need to go to them. That's what it says to do. But we don't hear that because we listen to, to ourselves. Psalm 16 teaches us how to come to God in prayer in times of great distress. It shows us who God can become in our lives if we listen to his word and trust him instead of our irrational thoughts. This indeed is a treasure worthy to be stamped in gold, and we cannot be reminded of it too many times. Seven times in this altar, in the 150 psalms, there are these treasure psalms, these golden psalms. And these times will surely come in our lives again and again and we are needing to be reminded. Fervent prayers to God accomplish more than we can know as we have already learned. He was learning to listen to God, to lean into Him daily in prayer and song and to learn the wisdom of trusting Him. This time in David's life, he didn't have anything else but God, but the truth of it is is we never do. We only think we do. This is what sets up God's people from the hopeless blind souls walking in the darkness, seeking refuge where there is none, craving food where there are only empty pantries, working for freedom where there is only slavery, and seeking the wisdom of fools. What does Psalm 1 tell us? Blessed is a man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Do you know that includes you? You know when your counsel goes against what God's word says you're supposed to do, then you're walking in the council of the ungodly. You go, well, this is not right. And this is what, well, nobody does this, right? How many have ever responded to this? You, someone, you're, you, you're, you're being told what to do from God's word. And you go, well, nobody does that. I don't even know churches that even do that, right? You say that. When you say that, what you're saying is you're looking and comparing what other people do instead of going, well, what does God's word say? So if no other churches in the whole wide world do it but yours, you might want to find out is your church doing it because it's obeying God's word or are we doing it just because we're silly? All right, third thing, the time. Everybody say the time. Okay. Now, the third thing we glean here from the inspired heading in Psalm 56 is the time that David wrote these words. And I've already hinted at it, but I'll get into it. David writes a psalm, and we've covered this at this very trying time in his life. We've, we've covered this because he wrote another psalm during this time, and I preached on it. But it was a, it was it was within a day or two of this other psalm. In fact, I don't understand why uh, the, who arranged the Psalms put this in Psalm 56, because It actually becomes before the other psalm he wrote. And if you're looking at the timeline, as we get into it, David is here, and he writes Psalm 56. A little bit longer, he writes Psalm 34. So why the order is that way, I I don't really know. Uh, And maybe if we could speak Hebrew and we could see it, it might make more sense to us, okay? But he writes his psalm at this trying time in his life, during a very uncertain time when he is constantly on the run, from the self-preserving hand of King Saul. Some mention this time uh, in their inspired headings, as this one does, Uh, and it says this. It says, when the Philistines took him in Gath. Now, don't don't miss this. Gath is where, who is from? Goliath. And so this is a big deal, and we've covered this. We covered this in the story of Doeg, right? Doeg, we covered this in, in a few other Psalms, Uh, where David is in this running period away from Saul. Psalm 52 and 54 cover this time period, so we've mentioned it quite a lot, when after this is when... Uh, Saul had all the priests of Nob killed for aiding David in his escape, okay? Now remember, David and Saul's son Jonathan had made a covenant with one another of respect and admiration and love, but Jonathan's father was bent on killing David. In 1 Samuel 20, you can read about how at this point Saul was so drunk with fear and anger that he even wanted to kill his own son Jonathan because of his relationship with David. Saul's nearing the end of his life, and sadly, so was Jonathan, and and that's another sad consequence. You know, sometimes we not only reap what we sow, but our children, our children do too. And Jonathan was going to die uh, uh, with his father at Mount Gilboa uh, at the hands of the Philistines. This day was coming sooner. David looked desperately for somewhere to run, though at this time he didn't know the future. He just knows that Saul's trying to kill him at every turn. He's, he's uh, chasing him. He's uh, interviewing people. Where's David? Where's David? And, and David can hardly go to sleep at night wondering if this will be the night that he's taking. And so he runs from the area. In this weak moment, David ran to Gath among the Philistines. I mean, you'd think of all the places to run. Running to the town where Goliath is from would not be where you would run. But apparently, it was so bad in his own home place that he runs to the enemy city and in in, 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 in to King Achish. He goes there where these guys are to find some refuge. This is a very bad moment in the life of David. Folks, we never run to our enemies. For aid. Amen? Amen. We always run to God. David had stopped by the tabernacle on his way out to Israel. Remember, tabernacle had been moved. And um, Ahimelech, the priest, had given him bread from the holy place and had given him the sword of Goliath. Even a better reason not to go to Gath. (laughs) You're going to Gath with the sword of Goliath. And if a lot of them looked similar, I, I don't think there were too many swords like this, and it would sort of give him away. And so this is not good. We don't know if they took it back. I, I don't know why they wouldn't have uh, taken it back. We don't hear about this sword anymore, so maybe this sword was reclaimed. We don't know. This is when David later, when they take him out of the cell, goes before King Achish and and slobbers and acts like a crazy person, right? And uh, they'd send him away. And so this is before that. He's waiting. He doesn't know this is about to happen. He doesn't know he's going to get away. He doesn't know what's going to happen at all. When we covered Psalm 34, we noted that this was quite a contrast for him from the last time he had held the giant sword and cut off his head. God has a way of humbling us in in our pride for, for relying on our own strength. And that's what he was doing for David. You know, uh, I believe Steve was praying this in his prayer today. When we see that God's humbling us is a gift to us, we will see it the right way. David wrote Psalm 56 after he was taken by the Philistine king, perhaps as he sat in a holding cell waiting to be brought before him. Steve, you can turn that back down. I just thought we needed to knock the chill off the air. I didn't want anybody to freeze to death here, uh, So David pleads for God's salvation from what he knows might be a painful and humiliating death by those he once conquered. In his prayer, we hear David's solitary feelings of loneliness and quietness as they wash over him as he longs for a day when he can once again gather with the people of God to lift up the name of the Lord in the temple. So here are the first words from verse 1. Be merciful unto me, O God, for a man would swallow me up. He's fighting daily, oppresses me. David wastes no words getting to his requests. When we're beyond hope in our own minds, it cuts away the superfluous, and it gets us right down to where we need to be. And I believe that oftentimes our circumstance that we're in is God preparing us for prayer. David cries out, be merciful unto me, O God. And when he asks for mercy, he is asking God to do something for him that he doesn't deserve. He doesn't approach God like a man on a mission demanding deliverance. Okay, God, you said I was going to be king one day. Break me out of the cell, you know. And there are people today that say that's how we're talking to God. You're supposed to claim God's promises and you're supposed to quote God's word and tell him what he's supposed to do, folks. People that tell you to come to God like that are really not leading you correctly. You don't come to God and stand at his door and pound on it and tell him how it's going to be and when it's going to be and remind him, look here, you promised me this. Where is it, God? I've heard preachers preach like this. I've heard this a lot. In fact, that's the, the bulk of what the prosperity health and wealth and healing message is about, it is about that God's written stuff down and you've got to go remind God of what he's supposed to do for you. Please don't do that. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? Sometimes God's greatest gifts to us come after he humbles us. We might look at the world and what goes on in our lives different if we saw these times, as I said before, as humbling as bringing us love so we can make way for the mercy of God. We need his mercy every day. And if humility is how it comes, then bring the humility. Amen? David is praying for help here as he sits in this Philistine jail awaiting what is coming next he is totally at the mercy of these men who have every reason in the world to kill him or make sport of him as they earlier did to samson you know he knew that story too he remembered the story how samson had uh bested the philistines again and again he even took the jawbone of a donkey killed a bunch of them lifted up their gates burnt their fields and what the, what did what did they do they took him and they burned his eyes out is what they did said they made sport of him they thought it was fun let's have him grind grain for us you know david is probably remembering this story this story happened before david lived this was a story he knew what are they going to do to me this was a scary thing david didn't have superhuman strength like samson there was no hope he might push some pillars down at uh, the temple of ashton for man would swallow me up he fighting daily oppresses me now, the words man would swallow me up or devour me really honestly are better trans, uh, translated trample underfoot. But they kind of are the same thing, right? If you get swallowed or eaten, it's just about the same as being grinded into powder, right? Uh, and, and so uh, it gives you the imagery of a great stampede. I don't know if any of you have ever been a part of a stampede of human people. Has this ever happened to you? Have, hey, Heath, have you been stampeded by a couple of cows, you know? There's a scene in one of these John Wayne movies that's terrible, you know, where there's like a thousand cows and this boy is there. And you kind of think he's going to be one of the greats in the movie. And the stampede goes and he's done for. He's just, you know, they thunder. Well, it's not like he's going to be alive underneath all of that, you know. There have been a few times in my life when I was in Russia earlier uh, in the 90s. And uh, I I was a part of a crowd that was so, uh, you know. There were were so many people that, like, I was terrified if I fell down, I would die, you know. And people do. Sometimes people do. Now, this is not something we can relate to, so maybe it's not such a great help. But let me tell you who who understood this. David did. David understood what it was like uh, to be in terror of being stampeded by people. When you go 200,000 men are going to fight 200,000 men, What in the world do you think happens in those battles, right? There are times when the battle shifts. You know, they're fighting and all of a sudden momentum shifts and all of a sudden everybody's moving. And this is something David can relate to. And he's kind of feeling like he's being, he's, he's, what are you going to do? Guys, I'm telling you, you can't resist a thousand cows. You can't resist a hundred thousand men who move. It makes you feel what? Powerless, helpless. This is what he's feeling. You ever feel helpless or powerless? Maybe not out in the field with 100,000 men in battle or even under a stampede of cattle, but don't you get to places in your life where you're just like, there's nothing I can do. That's what I was trying to create in my treaty at the beginning, that that hopelessness. I remember, I, I, I wrote that because I've been there. I remember being in the hospital with my grandmother who was an alcoholic and... She basically drank herself into a heart attack. And I loved my grandma. You know, you might say, oh, she was an alcoholic. She, she was my grandma. She kissed my cheek and hugged on me and loved on me and, and, and staggered a lot around, uh, you know. But, but she was my grandma, you know, and, and, and I loved her. And I remember feeling so helpless. I had wanted, I had wanted my grandma to you know, to stop drinking and, and, and I'd wanted her to live. And and I just remember being at this there was a hospital down in Cincinnati and, and I went down there and they said she had a heart attack and she probably and I just remember just feeling so helpless. Because we are folks we can't we can't keep someone from being an alcoholic. We can't stop some, a sickness that rages in someone's body. And in the, there, there comes a moment, though, where we sort of surrender. To what? To our helplessness. And oftentimes, that's when we pray. You know, I wonder what would happen if we prayed when we, we didn't have to get there. Verse 2, My enemies would daily swallow me up. For they be many that fight against me, O Thou Most High. See, he's... He's picturing this great multitude. He's feeling small. He's feeling helpless. He's feeling lonely. Again, he uses the same Hebrew phrase translated here, swallow me up, that is really better as trample. But as you can see, either way, he sees his utter annihilation and destruction before him. Every, you know, in these moments is when you just cut past all the goofiness and you just get right to what's important, right? Right? Oftentimes, regrettably, this is what it takes to open up our hearts to God in prayer. As long as we can see some light at the end of the tunnel, we run toward it. Rather than looking to the God to be our light. Why are we like this? When I wrote that down, I'm like, I I like, I want to, I want to write, I want to like, that's a Facebook post right there. You know, why is this? As long as we can see some light at the end of the tunnel, we run toward it rather than looking to God. It can be that only when we sit in utter darkness, when all other options expire before us, that we call on God to be merciful to save us. People of God, may we come to learn that God is not our last resort. He is our first friend who walks with us in the cool of the day as much as the terrors by night. May we turn to him in joy and praise and thanksgiving. And even when our observations and our musings, not not, not merely when we find ourselves overwhelmed and in great need, I'm telling you, if you walk with God and when you look at the grass blowing, you you think of the spirit of God that moved upon the face of the waters. When you see trees, if you see them worshiping God, and, and when you see flowers, you think, oh, look what God made for me. If you live like that, and if we, and, and Patrick, when you're out there, you know, you're riding your four-wheeler and you're out there, if you go, you know what, God's been good to me. You know, and I don't, can you sing, Patrick? Whether you can or not, you know what, no one's out there in the field, you're riding your four-wheeler, and you can just say, you know, praise God from whom all blessings flow. No, nobody can, it doesn't matter if they hear you. But do you know who does, Patrick? God does. You see in, the Bible tells us that in the garden the man walked with God in the cool of the day. And and if our if your relationship with God is what happens at church or you think of it as something separate from your life, you miss out on walking with God. God is there, you know, when you're you're seeing that sunrise, you know, or you know, brother Danny, you were baling some hay or doing firewood the other day. I don't know what it is, but but God is with you in those moments. You know, you're, you're splitting firewood. You know, do your thoughts go to? You know, God caused this tree to grow, and it's been growing for twenty, for thirty, for forty years. Why? To provide heat for my home, to provide light, to provide pleasure. There's nothing more pleasurable, hardly, to me in the whole world than sitting in front of a fire. And I loved St. Francis. People make fun of St. Francis, but he would say, he would call the, he would say brother fire. He would talk to it. You're like, oh, what a crazy guy. Yeah. Name a brother that's brought you as much delight as the fires in a fireplace. <laughs> you know, you're there, it's warming your feet. You're watching it sparkle. You're enjoying it all. You're, you know, you're just like, wow. You know, this is, this is amazing. But many times we miss out on the blessings of God because we don't see him in everything. except when we find ourselves overwhelmed and in great need. Verse 3, What time I am afraid I will trust in Thee. When we are spiritually immature, fear plays a greater role in our lives. And I'll repeat that. When we are spiritually immature, fear plays a greater role in our lives. But we should know that as we grow in grace and are conformed to the image of God, we grow up to a much better place. You see, fear might be a beginning. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it isn't the end of it, and it's not the very best. Uh, Andy read for us from this passage I'm going to read. What does mature love do? You know, we we use the word perfect love, and we like that perfect love. But when we say perfect love, we're not talking about perfect as in like, you know, everything's perfect, you know, nothing's a mess. Never, no, no, perfect means mature here. So mature love does what? It casts out, casts out fear. When your service to God, if you, if the, if the reason you do what you do or don't do what you do is a life of fear, you're going to be immature. I'm telling you that right now. That is an immature place to be with God. I'll read it for you. Herein is our love made perfect our love matures and grows up how many want to have grown-up love for god i do he said herein is our love matured and perfected that we have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world there is no fear in love the bible tells us love is really where we're going right love is really what we should be achieving we want god to put shed his love abroad in our hearts for others and for him there is no fear in love perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment or as andy read in the esv punishment the idea of fear is that if i don't then this will happen okay now it's not a bad thing to have it's not a bad thing to be wise enough to know that when we sin bad things are going to happen okay but that can't be our motivation you know when my children do things for me because they love me, it's a whole lot different than because, oh, dad's going to you know, take away our cell phones and dad's going to turn off the internet and dad's going to you know, tell us we're not allowed to go hang out with our friends on Sunday. Like, like, it's like, okay, really? Is that how I'm going to treat you guys the rest of your life? Or is there ever going to be a point where you just want to do what's right? Oh, sorry, that was my rant for the day. We love him because he first loved us. We don't love God because if we don't, we're going to hell. That's not really one of the great telltale signs of immature faith is that it is fear motivated fear of what others think, fear of God's judgment, fear of the world, fear of sin overtaking you and your children. People that live like this and live in fear, I'm telling you, there's a way better way. Mature love in God and for God casts out this fear. Living by fear is a life of torment and it stunts our spiritual growth. We should be encouraging ourselves and our children in the sure mercies of the Lord, not in the terror that we are sinful. Folks, we are sinful. You shouldn't be terrified. You should go, we're sinful. Aren't you glad we have an advocate with a father? Don't you know that, son, do you know that you sin, And you know that's bad, but where sin abounded, grace abounds more. And does that mean you need to continue in sin, you knucklehead of a boy? No. God is good. And he forgives you. And he loves you. And he will even use this sin to to help you. Because that's how great God is. But what we end up doing is we preach a gospel of fear to our children. We want to scare the living daylights out of them. And we want to protect them from the world. And we want to keep them away. As if somehow they're not eat up with the sin of Adam anyway. They are. We all are. And when we live in a life of denial like this... As John says, when we say we have no sin, <laughs> we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But when we confess our sins, He is faithful. Do you know why we confess our sins? You know, you, why? Why don't your kids, Andy? Why don't they tell you when they do wrong? They do wrong because they're what? They're scared of the consequence, right? That's the thing, right? So they're scared. So God is saying, confess your sins. Why? You don't need to be afraid to tell God when you've done wrong. Does it anyway? And when you come to him and he says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to, to forgive us. Folks, if we could lead our children to walk with God with this heart in mind, I'm telling you, we will not raise a bunch of Pharisees in our church. We all sin, but we have an advocate. Amen? We're all weak, but he is strong. You see, when people are weak, we can't be disappointed and let down. And you just, I just can't believe you would ever do anything like that. And your kids are like, oh, i, I let my mom and dad down so much, I'm a failure. And I'm just, you know, like, don't do that to your kids. I think we're better off to go, you know, I, I did worse than that. I'm not even going to tell you the story, but I did worse than that. Don't do that. That's not going to work out good for you. But God can help you through it. He loves you. We are fools, but if we lack wisdom, the Bible says he, He'll give it to us. We don't need to beat our children within, into the idea that they're fools and they got to be you know, thrashed as a result of it. Folks, we're fools, every one of us. It's when we learn to relax, to trust that God, the author, of, and is also the finisher of our faith. Amen? That what He begins in the good work of saving us, He will accomplish this and complete it. Proverbs 3 so perfectly reminds us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Lean not to our own understanding in all of our ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct thy path. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. This is the way. Walk ye in it. Fear comes from trusting yourself. At some point you will reach your limit. And if you have been trusting in yourself, you will be overwhelmed as you come to the realization there's just not enough of you. I mean, Becky's nodding her head and she got all these kids. She's like, oh, there's not enough of me. One's this way and one's this way and one's this way and one's in a car now. Now, no, there's a car and now, then they're at school and they're in a the job. Ah! That's kind of scary stuff, right? That's when we go, hey, there's not enough of me, but God's enough for all of us. That is the place of trusting God. You know, sometimes my wife, she's just like, oh, you know, she, she, she gets tempted to, and I'm like, honey. God knows what you have. Yeah, but honey, I'm sick. And I'm, I'm like, honey, God knew you were going to be sick. And he gave, he gave our kids you. He knew they would have a dad like me. You know, wow. You know, <laughs> he knew. I could go, oh, I just wish I wasn't me. And, and I wish my kids had a better dad than me. Or I could just go, hey, God knew. God's the one that started this whole thing Anyway. And so when we start going, you know what, it's okay if there's not enough of me. Because where I stop, God completes. He's the completer. He's the mature. He's the finisher of these things. And so David comes to this point, right? I will trust in you. And that's what weak times, and that's what trouble should lead us to is, you know what, I really can't trust myself. I really can't trust other people. What I really can trust, though, is God. Verse four, as we come to the fourth verse, David begins to walk by faith and he begins to run in praise and to fly away from fear. That's kind of how I see this. You know, we need to sometimes pray through our fear and get on the other side and praise God because that's where we come to. Once we finally go, all right, okay, okay. You know, because in our trouble, we're not thinking right, right? He's in verse four. In God, I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do to me. Does this sound like the sound of the, of the lonesome dove and the terebinths? You know, the lonesome dove out of the faraway place. Now he's like, hey, wait a minute. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to praise his word. I'm going to put my trust in him. I'm not going to fear what man will do to me. Well, he didn't sound like that in verse 1. Be merciful to me, God. They're going to kill me. I'm going to die. They're going to trample me. They're going to put me into, uh, grind me up into nothingness, oh God. you know. And now I like, think that's it. I'm not afraid of what they'll do to me. Folks, David's having a moment. He's, he's been converted in his own song here. From his fear to what? To faith. And the evidence of his faith is praise. What a doxology. What a triumph of the soul against his fears. This is where prayer leads us, not just out of fear, but into holy boldness. So as we pray, we may start off afraid. We may start off burdened, but where where it leads us to, though, isn't just that we're not afraid anymore. But it, now we're bold. Now we're like, where they at? Where they at? Where they at? You know, I'm in jail. Where they at? They got my sword. I don't need a sword. God and me are, you know, they may have it all, but it's me and God. You know, and he's there again. He's already out now. He's, here's the David that's on in the valley of Elam going, oh, yeah, you come to me with sword and spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And all I got is a little rock and I'm just a little boy. But I'm telling you, God's with me. That David is showing up right here. In verses 5 through 7, he now, though, turns back to his pursuers who are hot on his trail. But he doesn't turn back and go, oh, they're going to get me. He turns back and he goes, oh, God's about to get you. That's what he does. So watch this. Ready? Every day they rest my words. All their faults are against me. He's kind of like a guy, like like he finally realizes God is with him. And he's like, it's kind of like having a big brother or a big cousin. Anybody ever have one of these? See, you got, these are the things you miss out on in public school, okay? Everyone in public school gets beat up, okay? And you, none of you have probably been beat up. Maybe outside we can arrange this, okay? You know, get some of the bigger kids, okay? But there's something about, like, you know, you're getting picked on, you're getting beat up, but then your big cousin finds out. Ryan knows what I'm talking about. And then your big cousin comes over and he goes, was well, someone messing with you? And you're like, yeah, they were. They were chasing me. They were doing bad things to me. And like, oh, they are? And the more his face is getting rare, right his face, and he's turned. And you're like this, like. And like, this is what I'm like. He's about to put the whooping on somebody. That, I'm telling you, that's what's going on here in the psalm. He goes, every day they rest my words. All, my, all their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps. They wait for my soul. Shall they escape by iniquity? He's like, oh, they're not going to get away with this. You're going to pound them into the ground. That's, that's really where David's going. In Psalm 56 here, in thine anger, cast them down, right? So he's running from them. He's scared. Now he's flying in faith and he's, now he's turned around and who's about to run? The Bible says the wicked flees when no man pursues. But right now you've got David coming after them. Shall they escape by iniquity? in thine anger cast them down O god david is speaking there like god is standing next to him by faith he looks into god's face you see we become blind oftentimes in our own fear and we forget where we are and we forget who we are but now david's eyes have been opened in his prayer folks do you know sometimes that's what happens our eyes get opened in prayer god god hasn't been blind he didn't know what not what was going on now you're helping him out you know Every day they've been hunting me. They've been checking my tracks. They've been seeing who I've talked to. They've been looking for my hiding places. They plotted and snare me. They're the ones that are in trouble now. No one can hide from you, O oh God. No one is more powerful than you, O oh God. I can see what they have been doing has kindled your anger, God. There was no escape for them. Strike them down. Trample them under your feet, O oh God. And now instead of seeing himself being trampled, who's cast down now in the prayer? Uh, they are. This is imprecatory language crush them trample them down destroy them we don't always know who the enemies of god but let me tell you what he does and we can always pray that god smites his enemies and crush them now as we come to verses eight and nine david moves from questions of fear and certainty to the questions of fear and uncertainty to the certainty of god's love trusting god is a wonderful place of resolution and Acceptance. We often have to pray through our doubts and fears before we arrive here, but it should always be our destination. Verse 8, thou tellest my wanderings. This is the heart of the whole psalm right here. That's why I entitled it what I did. He's coming to the realization. He said, thou tellest my wanderings. What, what does that mean? He's like, you know my story. Lord, you've been with me. You've been watching me as I ran from this cave to that cave, and as I did this, you, you know what's going on. Put thou my tears into thy bottle? He asks rhetorically, are they not in thy book? He knows God's been watching and that God cares. And this is where we go to in prayer. We go out of fear. We go to faith. Next thing, we're bold, and then we finally come to trust God and to the realization, God, you've been watching. Verse 9. When I cry unto thee, my enemies will turn back. Who's they've been chasing him? Now who's chasing them? He's chasing them, right? He's been chased. He's about to be trampled. Now they're being chased. The momentum of the stampede has shifted. He says, This I know. Everybody say, This I know. Yeah. This is a this is a this is the heart of it all. He's come, Matt, to knowing it now. Before, is it going to happen? What's going to happen? Be merciful to me. Can you help me? And I was like, let me tell you what I know. God is for me. He knows where I've been. Oh, Lord, you didn't just show up today. You've been part of the entire journey. I didn't just rub the genie bottle and you came running for me. No, you've been here all the time. In fact, you put me on the path that I'm on for my goodness. All these things are working out and they're working together for my good because you love me and I am the called according to your purposes and you have been shaping me for a work that you have ordained that I would do. When we arrive here in our prayers, we have reached our destination past our fears, past our complaints, past our questioning of God and into the loving arms of his sovereign power. Put my tears into your bottle, O Lord, I know You've recorded every one of them in your book. David comes to see the very tears of his former anguish as precious to God as the waters from the well of Bethlehem that his mighty men would one day bring to him. This hadn't even happened in his life. God loves him so much that he gathered every hot salty tear from his fretting cheek and he saved it as a memento of the journey. God chronicled all the sorrow and sadness because it will be part of his joyous story of salvation, sure to be told. In the movie Shadowlands, author C.S. Lewis, who the movie is about, faces the unthinkable, knowing that he will soon lose his wife, Joy, to death. He said these words. He said, I pray because I can't help myself I pray because I'm helpless I pray because the need flows out of me all the time waking and sleeping but it doesn't change God it changes me he asks himself he says why love if losing hurts so much he said I have no answers anymore Only the life that I've lived. Twice in that life I have been given the choice as a boy and as a man. The boy chose safety, but the man chooses suffering. The pain now is part of the happiness then. That's the deal. Now that's a great quote. That's someone who's come to understand where God is taking all of us. Put my tears into your bottle, O Lord. I know that you've recorded every one of them in your book. When I cry unto thee then, thou shalt my enemies turn back. David learned that God was there all the time, ready for the cry of his son, able to answer his prayers and face the enemies that he could not. This I know for God is for me. David has moved from hope and faith to certainty at this point. Blessed are they who believe and have seen not. But when we start down this path, you can start even seeing. This is an amazing part. A life of faith, yeah, it starts off when you don't see. Blessed are they those that don't see, like, like Abraham. He doesn't see the city he's supposed to go to, right? But I'm telling you, when you walk with God, you can, you can start to see the city, Steve. You see it. Why? It's more real to you than what you can see with your natural eye. Because faith that's real, that comes from God causes a man to see that more real when we start down this path we don't know where the city of god is leading us to but eventually we can see it in our hearts and minds as sure as if we're standing outside looking at the skyline this i know for god is for me verses 10 through 13 once we come to this place faith-filled praise fills our mouths That's how you know that indeed you have prayed through your fears and doubts and you've reached the destination of trust. Praise is all that's left. In these last verses of David, his heart gushes with clear praise. Let me read it for us. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid of what man can do to me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee, for thou hast delivered my soul from death. Thou wilt thou not deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? You hear what he's saying? He said, You saved me from death. You know, you could even save me from falling. That's where that scripture comes in that's prophetic about Christ. Where He says, "Thou will not even cause thy foot to be dashed against a stone. What's he saying? He's saying God not only could keep him from dying, God could keep him even from tripping. When the earth quakes beneath our feet and the land slides into the sea, we are left standing on the immovable rock and the unchangeableness of God's word. Heaven and earth will pass away but God's word will abide forever. We can praise God and thank him for his unshakable word, amen? In our lives, all that can be shaken will be shaken, but God's word abides forever. Read it, study it, apply it, and praise God for it. This is how we put our trust in God and send our fears scurrying back to the dank holes where they came from. The promises that I make to God in faith, the vows that I have committed to the Lord, We keep those vows. Amen. This is what a righteous man does. When a godly man or woman makes a vow in marriage or covenants to a church, we keep it. This is how we walk in faith and how we trust in God. We do not shrink back from our vows. Why? Because the promises that I made were not merely to men, but they were to God himself. I'm not afraid of what man can do to me, but I certainly am and should be afraid of what God will do. Again and again, God has saved me from death. How much more will he deliver me from falling? O oh Lord, continue to deliver me that I may live for you the rest of my life. That's Psalm 56. Let us pray. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.